Welcome to the Osprey Podcast. This time we're joined by athlete, author, storyteller and adventure seeker Anna McNuff, who you'll most likely know from her escapades running the length of Britain barefoot. I'm your host, Marcus Brown, and this is the Osprey Podcast. Anna McNuff. Hello. Thanks very much for being here. Thank How you. you oh, I'm doing great. The world seems to be going back to normal a little bit, so I'm feeling sprightly. It's starting to get that way, isn't it? It is. It's starting to get that way. I, this won't go out for a few weeks, so I don't know where we'll be at when it does. Yeah. But um, no. maybe the world can tell us. That's send it. us a exactly. send us an email. Let us know. <laughs> <laughs> um, what have you been leaning into in in lockdown? Everyone's kind of been working on their own things. Yeah. I found it quite difficult because uh, you know I write a lot of stuff I write a lot of books articles things like that and I thought wow this is an amazing time to do some writing and then I found that because I didn't have my usual creative writing spaces and I'm such a prissy creative I just found (laughs) I couldn't write and also you know I live in a two-bed flat with my boyfriend so both of us have our own businesses so we're both there and so I just struggled. But then the main productive thing I decided to do was to, um, I started hosting storytelling sessions on, on Thursday nights doing live storytelling. So I kind of used that, oh, yeah, to write stories and then to share them live on social media every Thursday night. And that actually helped me write effectively chapters of a book. So I basically mm. forced myself into it. Um, but that wasn't what I was Did you find that the, the, the deadlines were what were... Yeah. Yeah, sort of helping you to actually churn it out. And the first few weeks, you know, so it was on a Thursday night. In the first few weeks, I would start on maybe a Friday or the weekend. I'd start writing the story, and then as we got towards the last few weeks, I was doing it on the day and <laughs> cursing myself Ooh. and going, "Anna, if you don't have something to read to these people tonight, like they've," they, and I think I did it for three and a half months. So there was all this expectation and energy wow. built up. Yeah, and I thought it was a nice thing to give give because I thought. What can I give to the community, but that's also productive for me at the same time, so everyone's happy? Mm. And um, yeah. yeah, I found I just thought I had all these small adventure stories I'd never written up, like rollerblading around Amsterdam and um, trying to run, you know, running the Jurassic Coast dressed as a dinosaur, all these fun things that I'd never Epic. actually written. So yeah, exactly, <laughs> got to be done. So yeah, I found it interesting. I haven't done what I expected myself to do through lockdown, but I've done all different projects that wouldn't have happened lockdown hadn't occurred so it's been amazing awesome. I, I, th- I think that's the that's the way to handle these sorts of things isn't it it is that's it you've got to you know make the lemonade from the lemons and um, exactly and just taking it day by day really helped and week by week so and now i just i say you know i feel like there's light coming because i just feel like everything from this point on is there seems to be steadier progress so i'm loving it mm. you alluded to a few adventures there um, I'm going to reel off a few slightly larger ones that you've also done. Yeah. So you've done, you've you've run the length of Britain barefoot. Yes. You've run the length of New Zealand. You've cycled the Andes. You've road tripped Canada. You've travelled Europe via social media, which we'll get into what that means a bit <laughs> later on. Um, let's before all of that, let's wind it way way back uh, to the very beginning. Yeah. Maybe not the very beginning. We probably don't need those details. Yeah. Okay. But cool. When a man loves <laughs> <your> a parents, woman. <laughs> Your parents were both Olympians. Yes, they, they they are Olympians. They went to the 1980 Olympics for rowing. So I am spawn of Olympians. That is, spawn I'm a specimen. I feel like that's as close as you get to being a 
a Greek demigod. That's it. Basically, <laughs> basically, I've got a pretty good deal in the gene pool. Uh, which, I mean, it's just the thing is, you think it's normal. You know, you grow up in a household. Uh, we're a very sporty household, doing loads of different things. I didn't feel a massive pressure. They're not pushy parents by any stretch. They've always said, do mm. what you love. Um, but they just do adore sports. So, and they loved rowing. And I hated rowing until I was about 15. And then I actually tried it and I ended up rowing for Britain for a while. But I didn't make it to the Olympics. Um, But um, yeah, it was amazing to have that kind of start and that background in life. And I'm pretty grateful for it. Was the Olympics something you were striving for? Massively, yeah. I think because of my parents, I just... I thought that's the way the world worked. You know, you put effort in one end, it's like a factory, you work really hard in the middle and you get what you want out the other side. And so I also thought, right, well, I just pick a sport, I work my socks off and then I will become an Olympian. This is the way the world works. And when I'd been in the squad for about five years and then the 2008 Olympics came around and the squad was picked or the team was picked to go, even though I was in the wider squad and my name was just off the bottom of the list. And Oof. yeah, exactly. Massive sucker punch. And all of those years, you know, I started questioning whether I'd wasted those years and also questioning whether I could cling on for another four years and in the hope that I would make London. Um, and I decided to let go of my Olympic dream. I just, um, I realized I actually I'd probably fallen out of love with the sport a little bit. And I just had this mm. massive I guess it's a wanderlust or a, a curiosity about the world. And I was seeing the world, but I was seeing it by rowing down two kilometer lakes backwards. So um, I just, <laughs> I couldn't explain it, but I just thought, I don't think, I think this was like my parents' path. And I thought it was what I wanted, but actually I don't think it's me. I think I'm a bit, I'm a bit wilder. I need to be a bit freer. So yeah. So I gave up on my Olympic dream. I hung up my oars, which was terrifying. Um, because it, I imagine it was. Yeah, it was all you know. What was your? What was it? You said that you were sort of questioning whether or not you'd wasted the years. What was your conclusion on that? Did you did you feel any kind of regret or? I have never regretted the decision to give up, and and it is that you know I did give up, and that's I think the only thing that was difficult to handle at the time. It wasn't forces stopping me. I decided to tap out and make a conscious decision to leave the sport, but. I I concluded, and as the years went on, and certainly now in hindsight, what I got from those years being in an elite sports team and the camaraderie and all my friends are from that that world was so much more valuable than just that one thing of going to the Olympics. So it's you know it's the whole it's the whole classic story. The process was a beautiful and amazing thing, and no one can take that away from you. And just because you don't get what you want out the end of it actually it gave me so much so never ever regretted it I actually think if I had gone to the Olympics my life would have been very different and I'm actually grateful that I didn't make it because it forced me (laughs) to find my own way you know to trust myself and to actually go right well question well what is it I want to do and what do I think I should be doing and um and that's scary in itself but I'm so I'm so glad did it so yeah Wicked. Obviously, you know, as you as you've kind of said there, that there's plenty of upsides to having Olympians as parents. Would you say that there are any downsides, and and is that part of what played into the? I well, the, to the rowing. That's a good question because I would say no, there aren't any downsides. Um, but I think the downside was my was myself and. Because when I actually decided, when I was thinking about giving up rowing, it was actually my mum that said, "Have you thought about retiring?" 
and you know to hear that coming from my mum was really powerful and I actually realized that they had no expectation of me I told myself this story you know that I just wanted to be like them because they they were my heroes you know and the and I just grew up watching the Olympics. It's just, the I love it. You know, three weeks of duvet session and take out pizza and highlighting all the bizarre events you want to watch. I get well into the diving and the gymnastics and love the way it brings people of all, you know, races and color and everything together. And there's, you know, politics gets involved sometimes, but I love that about it. So I realized actually it was all the pressure I'd put on myself. Um, And so I guess the only downside was that my parents set the bar pretty high. And I yeah. decided, and my, my brothers didn't decide that too much. It was really me out of the three kids that decided that was the bar that was set and I wanted to go for it. So um, I don't think that's a bad thing. Um, but of course, it just means you, you're the kind of person who keeps push, push, push. And you're a bit like a hungry hippo in life. And uh, that's the way I've always been. And that's the way I'll continue to be. But sometimes it gets a bit frustrating. You just want to chill out. Let's talk a little bit about Barefoot Britain. Yes, let's do that. 2,352 miles, yes. 90 marathons, yes. no shoes, yes. 148 days. I know. When I hear people say Should we this, start with... Yeah. Go on. I just think, who is this mad person? Who is this yeah. deranged <laughs> woman who would run from the Shetland Island to London with no shoes on? <laughs> I realise it's me. I did it. Um, yeah. What, let, let's start with the obvious question. What possessed you? Why on earth? Okay, so to put it in context, I had done, uh, by this point, I'd done like an 11,000 mile cycle. I'd cycled a few thousand miles through the Andes Mountains. I'd run the length of New Zealand, 2,000 miles. And so I start to just put that in context. That's my baseline of like what I'd, what I'd managed to push myself through, being terrified, not really knowing what mm. I was doing along the way. These kind of massive endurance yeah. challenges. So I just thought, right, it's time for a new adventure. Uh, in 2019, I, I'd become the UK ambassador for girl guiding. So I'd got this new role where it's a, a mission to try and get young girls into adventure and, and into the outdoors. And I thought, I definitely want to do a run. I want to do it through Britain. I want to talk to girls along the way, sort of spread the message of adventure in the outdoors and the idea of taking on something because that where you feel like 50% terrified and 50% excited when you come up with an adventure idea and that mix is 50-50, that's when you know it's the right idea. And because I look back over all my past adventures and I've always felt like that. I mean, I started my bike ride through the 50 states. It was 11,000 miles. And I just thought, I have absolutely no idea what I'm doing. I'll make it 2,000 miles in and then I'll work it out for 9,000 miles. So I just thought, okay, it's going to be a run, going to be through Britain. And then I thought, right, well, if I do it in trainers, I've kind of already done it, you know, and I think I can do it and it doesn't terrify me enough. And then I just had this crazy thought of why don't you do it without shoes on? And the, the next thought that followed was don't be ridiculous. You can't do that. And then it just wouldn't leave me alone. And so I spent about three nice. years with it kind of bouncing around in the brain. And then I decided I got the point about a year and a half out of starting the run. I thought, I think this is possible. And it could be a huge disaster. There's a massive chance of failure, but let's go for it and see what happens. 
So how did you go about starting barefooting then? Was It, it must have been a slow and laborious process, oh, mustn't it, to, to adjust to that? I mean, I hurt when I yeah. do it in shoes. Absolute nightmare. <laughs> so I'll be clear as well, is I had done as much barefoot running as most of the people listening probably have. I'd, I'd been in um, minimalist style running shoes, so running shoes with a with less of support. I'd been in them for a few years because I like the way they feel. You know, that's that's actually what I find um, suits my running style and but I had never run barefoot I'd never run in socks or anything like that so I thought right there's no I mean there's no guidebook for this thing there is no <laughs> there's no training programs out there that tell you how to train for a, um, a hundred marathon run so I just thought right I'll start steady and I thought I'll just go out for 20 minutes with no shoes on and go for a run so um that was I think we it was sort of early spring but we just had a load of snow and I thought oh, it's just, there was snow on the ground in Gloucestershire where I live. And I thought, well, you've promised yourself you're going to start on, on Monday. It's Monday now. You're going to go out. You're going to run up this hill in the snow. So I set my watch. I was like, right, 20 minutes. Let's go. Slip my shoes off. Left them in the car. And then I got, I got started running up this hill and my feet were on fire, like agony. And I was just thinking, oh, just, just keep going. And I was like, don't look at your watch. Don't look at your watch. So I like, keep trucking up this hill, get to the top of it, start running along. And now there's like tears streaming down my face because I'm like, this pain has got to stop soon. Like, this is horrendous. Like, sticking your face in a freezer, but with your feet. And then I thought, I'll just check my watch. It must be 20 minutes. And I looked and I'd done like three minutes and 36 seconds. Oh, God. <laughs> and I thought, I'll stuff this. And I went back down, got in the car and went home. <laughs> So um, after that disaster, I realised that I probably... Did you, had you already decided to do the... Like, you'd already worked out what the challenge was at this point? I had worked out that I thought I was going to do it, but what I, I hadn't told anyone. I didn't actually tell anyone until about six okay. months before I started. So I'd worked out that I probably needed a year and a half to get ready for it. And um, I don't know why I picked a year and a half. That was just as much as my brain could cope with, much longer, and I'd lose interest and any shorter, and it wouldn't be enough. So nice. I very just, scientific. yeah, thanks very much. I do try. <laughs> um, so yeah, then I decided I probably shouldn't just start straight off the bat barefoot. That's a really silly idea because it'd be rubbish for my confidence. I wouldn't get very far. So I then decided that I would start building up my mileage and I effectively did build on my mileage in minimalist shoes for six months. Then I started bringing mm. in these sort of sock things, which are like a bit like wetsuit boots. And so I'd go out for an eight mile run and put them on for two miles and then gradually shift the balance so I did six months in the socks and then I started gradually shifting the balance from the socks to bare feet until I was six months of barefoot. Um, but, and then I started, but even going up to the start, I mean, I, I wasn't prepared to run 20 plus miles day in day out. Cause I had life to get on with, you know, I had a living to make. Um, yeah. But I, I felt that I'd done as much as I could and that I could look back and say, I couldn't have, I couldn't have prepared anymore. Yeah, that was it. Wicked. Did you, were you doing much barefooting outside of running? Were you like basically just spending your whole life barefoot? No. And do you know why? Because it's, I'm one of these people, part of me doesn't care what people think, but when you're out and about and you're running down the street in bare, in bare feet, and I was working a lot in London at the time, so I'd run through the streets of London barefoot. I mean, it is exhausting to have people constantly, <laughs> it's like people can't control themselves. It comes out their mouth before they've even realized they've said it like, she's got no shoes on. Or um, <laughs> a mum would like pull their child away from me or the, mom, or the little kid would just be like, mommy, that woman's got no shoes on. And so I like to run because it lets me escape from life and I transcend and I feel very zen. And it was really hard to do that 
when people are constantly looking at oh, you and yeah. pointing out that, and I've got pink hair as well, so it doesn't really help myself. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> but um, so I, I did, I decided, no, I wasn't going to, I wasn't going to lead a completely barefoot life. I feel that's more of a, a almost like an evangelist lifestyle choice. But for me, it was just about mm. the challenge of running. And so before I went for a run, bare feet, I just have to get my head on and be like, right, you're going to get stared at. You're going to get looked at. Um, people are going to call you crazy. Um, and I found actually the best place to barefoot run was I went to Cheltenham races and everyone was wasted and I, I wasn't drinking. So I then ran home from the races to the train station, which is about two miles. And of course, everyone's wasted. I'm in a dress and I'm holding my shoes in my hand. And there's these Irish people behind me. Hey, Rob, where are your shoes? And I just wave them in my hand. They're like, way! They loved it. They just thought I was a drunk girl running home. Brilliant. Awesome. <laughs> uh, so how how did your body respond then? Were you, did you find that, I mean, obviously, A, your feet will have had to have adapted, but did it also, did it expose like any sort of imbalances in your in your joints or did it cause any imbalances? Did it cause yeah. any pain? What, what were you dealing with? I was quite sensible. I mean, I'm even surprised how sensible I was myself, to be honest. I went to see a guy um, who is a running coach and he, I was going to say he lives under Kew Bridge. That makes him sound like a troll. He doesn't live under <laughs> Kew Bridge. He has like a workshop under there and he's this amazing, his name's Christian. He's a specialist in running gait. And I went to him a year before and I said, can you look at my running gait and can you tell me have I got completely the wrong running style for barefoot running? And he looked, you know, and he also accepted and listened to what I was going to do, which I thought was wonderful. And he looked at my running style and then he gave me some tips and some little exercise to do over the course of a year to try and bring the loading down in my, he measured the load that was going through my hip and my knee joints while I was running. Wow. And then we did some work. And by the time I went in a week before I started the run, a year, after a year of working on it, and my loading was down by something like 75%. Like I chopped it right oh. down. Yeah. So he said, oh "My God, Anna, I know. I was like, yes. <laughs> that is incredible. Yeah. And he said, you are now running in a way that you, you put yourself in the best possible chance of not getting injured on this run. And that was all I needed to hear. It wasn't about speed. You know, I'm not one for times. It was just about how do I make this distance? So, um, so yeah, that, that really helped. Um, and the main thing that I struggled with when I started adapting was it, it puts a lot of pressure on your calves. Your calf muscles are suddenly, whereas normal running shoes, they act as shock absorbers. Suddenly you're having to use your calf muscles a lot more and your Achilles needs to lengthen and that gets a battering. I mean, it's supposed to be, it's basically trying to get your body back to the way we're supposed to be, which is nice, long Achilles and really strong calves. And so I had to do loads of calf raises. So every time I went up the stairs, I'd put a backpack, a weighted backpack on and do 50 raises. And then, so I'd try and do that in a day and, um, and lots of Achilles stretching and lots of sore Achilles as well. And trying to, I think that's the most difficult thing. You you have, you have an injury or you have not an injury, but you have pain and you're trying to work out, is this my body telling me to stop? Or is it just like the foundations of a building? It just needs to settle into place and then we're going to be golden. So that was quite tough because there's, again, there wouldn't, there was no manual for it. I was just going off mm, what I felt. Yeah. That's really interesting. They, th one of the things I've been focusing on recently is my, my calf and my Achilles ah. because what I've, what I've discovered and seems so incredibly obvious in, in hindsight is that I've, I've never been able to sit squat comfortably. Yeah. And I, I never really knew why, but everyone always says like, ah, oh, you, you need to loosen up your hips. 
Mm. And I, you know, I've done a lot of sport and I've done a lot of different sports. Um, and I've done a fair bit of climbing. And I was like, I don't feel like my hips are that tight. Yeah. I, was, I was just thinking about it. Like I'd never really spent much time thinking about it, but I knew I wanted to be able to sit squat comfortably, properly, especially because my flatmate can do it. Like it's <laughs> nothing with his heels together and I yeah. hate him for it. Yeah. Um, so I was like, right, I'm going to figure out why I can't do this. And I, I was like, I'm sure it can't be my hips. So let's do some research. Did some research. Very quickly found out that the, the calf is often the, the problem, that yeah. your ankles are too tight. And there, there was this test to, to see whether or not uh, you've got enough flexibility to be able to do just a, a comfortable squat. Um, and it was simply to put your palm up against a wall on the floor. Yeah. So flat on the floor pushed up against the wall yeah and then the distance across your palm so thumb to little finger um put your foot up against that yeah up against the edge of your hand and then if you can keep your heel on the floor and touch your knee over the top of your toe got you to the wall yeah then you've you've probably got just about enough yeah to do it um and i went for it and i did not get even remotely close and I was like oh my god I had no Hallelujah. idea this was all along you know and I train parkour as well yeah. so oh, all this right. jumping like you would expect that I would need yeah. really good dorsiflexion and yeah. I just never bothered to yeah. look at it so I didn't realize I didn't have it yeah. um, I'm kind of amazed I've never injured myself badly now wow but, yeah uh, yeah so that's, that's what I've been working on and in two weeks I can now touch the wall Oh, wow, that's amazing. Which is, it kind of blew my mind that you can change yeah. it that quickly. So when yeah. you said you improved 75% of your weight distribution in yeah. in a year, I was like, yeah, I can believe that. And it's amazing. Yeah, it's, it's, it's <laughs> the, crazy, isn't it? The body's ability to adapt, well, right? That's it, the body's ability to adapt. And I think that's what I'd learned through past adventures is if you if you gently nudge your body and you keep going, keep going, keep going, it, it will work it out and we don't give it enough mm. credit for that. And that's what's amazing about it. Yeah. So. Did you have any issues with heat? Cause were you running oh, throughout the summer? Yes. I had this the other day. I was walking barefoot cause I quite like to do it. I live by the beach yeah. on the way back up the hill. My feet were burning. <laughs> yes. Uh, so it was the summer when Scotland had a heat wave. When does that ever happen? Perfect. I mean, it was just absolutely ridiculous. So it was like 32 degrees some days. And I run running with an Osprey pack. Yeah, you know it. Just saying that. Um, I was running my pack, even though I had a main kit bag that was being passed down the country like a giant baton, which was great. I was running with a small amount of stuff on my back. And so that... What I pack mean, were you using? Um, I was using the, the, is it the Jura? Duro, the Duro, Duro, yeah. Duro, that's it, the Duro. I was using the Duro. The, Duro the 15 litre one, I think. The slightly bigger yeah. one. Yeah, with the chest, with the little pockets. Um, I love it because I could put my phone in and all that. Um, so I was running with that. And so that immediately makes you a bit hotter anyway, having something in your back. And then, yeah, um, and oh yeah, the roads at some point, because I was, I was running on a mixture of trail and road when I was up in the north. I, I tended to actually go towards more minor roads as I got further south. But the heat was ridiculous and I couldn't stand still. I was doing a lot of filming and I was having to set up the camera and run back backwards and forwards past it. And I couldn't stand still to set the camera up. I was like hopping from one foot to the next. And it was so hot that where tractors were turning into their fields, they were tearing up the tarmac and it would like wow. go into this like molten mess. Yeah. So I was having to, there was one day where actually I went fully clothed into a lock to just like, and came out like a bog monster 
ran off down the road. And then I was having to stop and suck water out of my water bladder and spit it on the soles of my feet and then run on for 10 minutes and then do it again. Yeah, that was, it was intense. And I'm a, I sweat like a beast as well. So it was really difficult, but <laughs> yeah, I had everything. What was your, what was your rehab process like while you were training and, and during the event as well? I think the tough thing about the training is, like I said, you know, normal life has to carry on while you're trying to prepare for a two and a half thousand mile barefoot run. And so mm. I would quite often use my training. I, I, I like doing A to B runs. You know, I'm not very good at running around in circles. So, for example, I was talking at Cheltenham Literature Festival. So I decided to leave a bit early and run there. But then, of course, you end up getting there. You haven't left much time. And then you're rushing in to like have a quick baby wipe shower in the bogs and get on stage and you've not stretched and hydrated. So I was trying to just make sure that I allow myself enough time at the end of a run to at least stretch my Achilles out because they were the things that got quite sore. And mm. um, and to check in on my feet as well and to look after them and check I'd not got any like nicks or cuts that needed a bit of attention. So, yeah, it was tough because you're trying to fit in about a normal life and, and normal life needed to carry on. Would you say that there are that you've seen actual benefits from? Obviously, it, it might be hard to tell because you've been focusing on your running gait and stuff, and yeah. and you've been doing all this very deliberate training to get better. But do you think that the barefoot running itself has shown benefits? Oh, absolutely. I I mean, I like I said, I enjoyed minimalist running before I even started the run. I think that's why I came up with the idea of it. But the second I started doing more barefoot stuff and dropping even down to socks. I mean, the muscles in my legs just went like, it was like someone had taken a straw and just sucked any like mass out of them. And they just went like that. They just all tightened up. And I thought, God, people need to tell all these people that go to the gym to make sure their legs look nice and toned, just walk around in barefoot shoes or because all these (laughs) muscles are suddenly having to work where they've never had to work before. And it it does, it just activates all of these strength in your legs that you didn't know you had. Um, And in the run itself, I think over those 2,300 miles, I had one day off for a sore calf and that was it. My, I know, isn't that ridiculous? And that is a testament to the style of barefoot running, which is that you basically, you don't move up and down, you just move along. You're like the kind of a, a swan but very ugly swan, an ugly duckling going just, <laughs> and um, it's testament to that. But also, I was I was self um, treating. I do this trigger point therapy stuff to release my muscles, and the woman who helped me with that is very good. And so I think it was a testament to those two things. But yeah, I'm, I can't wear anything other than minimalist shoes now. I just think, I think if it suits your body type, and if you're the kind of person that's interested in it, then go for it. You know, if you're if if you're not got any problems with your running anyway, just stick with what you're happy with. It doesn't really matter. But mm. I do think it's amazing because it actually says let's use the muscles in our body for what they were designed for, which is shock absorption, um, and let them do what they do. The uh, this trigger point stuff sounds interesting. What's that about? Oh right, if you're a lover of pain as people who like endurance (laughs) are, you know, that's sick. Oh, I just love a bit of pain. And uh, basically the idea behind it, it's a bit like acupuncture, but, um, and you've probably done it with golf balls or tennis balls rather than massage. Mm -hmm. The trigger point therapy says that you're, if you've got an injury, everything, unless it's a broken bone, absolutely everything is due to a tight muscle in your body. It's like holding on. And so what you need to do, there are certain points on the body you define that trigger point, 
you push on it hard and I'm talking sometimes you want to vomit and sometimes oh. the, mu- the muscle starts to twitch and shake but if you hit the right points and you can manage to breathe through that pain then eventually the muscle will release and then within 72 hours the inflammation's gone you're back you're golden and wow. yeah my boyfriend used it running across he, he did a five and a half thousand mile run across America and then he did um he broke the world record for the furthest distance run in seven days on a treadmill, as you do. And um, and he used it for that. And I watched it in action. And I thought, this suits me because I don't have a physio on the road. I'm going to have to self-treat. And I think I'm the kind of person that's willing to put myself through some pain if I know it's going to be able to help me keep going. Um, hmm. Yeah, it's amazing. <laughs> so how long are you holding on to the point for and how do you know when it's done um different points around the body i take different amount of time but the, the weird thing is you know when it's done because you'll go from you push on a point say on your calf it normally takes about a minute a minute and a half to release and apparently wow. the woman said my body releases quicker than a lot of people so some people take longer but you push on it and when you first push on it it takes your breath away and you, your breathing goes like <sighs> you know it's like you're in pain and then suddenly you realize, oh, you've, and you shut your eyes. And then suddenly you realize you've opened your eyes and your breathing's a lot slower. And then you realize, and you think, am I pushing as hard? Oh, I am. Okay, the pain's gone. It's amazing. Absolutely amazing. Weird. It's like, yeah, the muscle just lets go. And it's like, all right, I see what you're doing. Yeah. And then how do you find the points? Is it like you're just searching for where it hurts and then you're like, all right, that's it. Well, that's, and that's where she comes in. That's where this lovely woman called Sylvia comes in who's based in California. But she because it's not sometimes it's where the pain is but quite often it's not where the pain is it's actually like if you've got pain you know in your lower calf actually the point is up behind your knee um so i would send her a video and say sylvia i'm really struggling this is getting really tight now and actually i'm starting to limp and she'd say oh that's no problem you just need to put your knuckles in here squeeze your calf like a juice box at this point it should feel really sharp pain and she'll show me and then i'll just watch her video and i'll do the same and you know when you found it so that's, I guess, when you need a little bit of a guide and that's where the expertise comes in. And then, and her whole thing is we're always taught that we need to go to other people to fix us. And her belief is that we have the ability to know our bodies better than anyone else and we should be able to fix ourselves. Mm. Nice. Which I'm a big fan of that. Unless you've got broken bone, of course, then you're in a bit of trouble. Well, yeah, I mean, seek medical attention. <laughs> yeah, definitely. But again, it's like that might not work for everyone. But for me, I found the style of treatment that works for me. So happy days. Brilliant. Let's talk about Europe. Yes. Via social media. Oh, yes. What was it? How did it work? Another one of my great ideas. Um, (laughs) I decided that because I'm a bit of a planner, even though I'm kind of slapdash, I actually do like to plan a lot. I love a good plan. And I decided what would life be like if instead of making myself physically uncomfortable through endurance adventure, I actually just made myself mentally uncomfortable So I set aside a month in my diary. I started in my back garden in London and I said that I would let social media tell me where to go. So every few days I threw up a post that effectively said left, right or straight on, where am I going? And I followed votes for a month and ended up, I started off walking and walked 60 miles, had a meltdown because it was a complete disaster. My feet were torn to bits. I was in Essex walking down dual carriageways. It was horrendous. And then I swapped to a bike and then I ended up cycling about 1,300 miles, went through the Netherlands, France, Germany, Switzerland and finished on the Mediterranean Sea at Marseille and then flew home. Blimey. 
yeah amazing did you have any disasters once you got out of the uk (laughs) no actually i think the biggest thing was just the continual struggle of i thought maybe this trip will make me be less of a planner you know maybe i'll just be completely Mm. at one with not knowing where i'm going and um and it didn't all that happened was i condensed my usual planning cycle into the space of two days which was the voting and um so i realized you can't change yourself but i was amazed out of 28 nights away i was taken in by 24 to 24 nights by strangers people off friends of friends off facebook or people through like you know couch surfing networks and these people didn't need notice you know they didn't care that i was literally giving them 24 hours notice and saying i'm really sorry but you happen to have a bed for me tomorrow night and they would go yeah of course we don't like too much notice whereas i'm the kind of person i'm like i need to know a week in advance need to get my head around it there's people coming um so that i guess i learned that there are just loads of different ways to skin a cat and um it was quite uncomfortable but amazing in many ways and and great way to see europe as well cycling is just brilliant they've got great bike paths there would you recommend um that kind of forcing yourself to be more reactive while traveling by not planning ahead and just sort of make it up as you go along Yeah, I always say with planning that you should plan to the point where you feel comfortable and you feel safe and you're not anxious because I know a lot of planners, that helps them curb any anxiety. But you've also got to accept that 80% of your plan will go out the window and that's a beautiful thing. And if you over plan, you're really, really rigid. You're going to miss things like, you know, some guy walking into a petrol station and you realizing he's got, he runs a ranch just down the road and he's got a 95 year old grandma and she's amazing. And you go and have blueberry pancakes with her just because he wants you to meet her because she used to love cycling too. You know, if your schedule's really fixed, you can't do things like that. So I always say plan to the point where you're safe and comfortable and then allow some float space in between to go and flow. Nice. What would you say are your best and worst moments out of all of your adventures oh this is a really good question um the best moments are probably ones where i am i'm by myself i'm i like i feel like the best version of myself and by that i mean i'm normally dirty and smelly and i haven't had a shower in days i feel really feral great and free and one of the, the points that springs to mind is i was running along this trail and the north and the north of the south at the north of the south island of new zealand there's this place called mount rintel it's a ridge line you're up at about 1700 meters beautiful trail snaking through this long grass winds blowing mountain tops all around me blue sky and i'm running along that that ridge line and just feeling like high as a kite you know the beauty is all around me i'm doing what I love um, my body's fit by that point and I'm just hot, like massive high just absolute high love those moments and then the darkest moment they're just times when things go wrong and where you start to question whether you're in over your head and whether you shouldn't have done such a big adventure or you know are people just going to laugh because you're going to fail and the one that springs to mind on barefoot Britain was I was a thousand miles in and I'd had loads of nicks and cuts and scrapes on my feet, but I got the tiniest little cut from a piece of glass around Sheffield and, you know, went in, came out again. I was really used to it. I was like, fine, no problem. And then I was a bit silly. I didn't look after my foot particularly well. I had loads of interviews and girl guiding talks. And then basically two days later it got infected and my foot Mm. just went 
boom. Oof. And I don't know if you've ever had a foot infection, but oh my goodness, I thought I could deal with pain and it was horrendous. And I ended up with two weeks off my feet on a course of antibiotics. And at that point, I just thought, I'm a thousand miles into this run. It's very public. It's been all over the news. Everyone's following me. There's all these people mm. waiting further down the country for me to run with them. And I have to sit here and not know whether I'm going to be able to carry on. I just don't know. And it's not like I can say, okay, in a week's time, I'll start running again. I've got no idea. And that was horrendous, just uncomfortable. And those days just seemed so long. And eventually I managed to, I mean, basically like <laughs> all my beautiful hard skin on that section of my foot just peeled off because the infection came oh. out. I've got some cracking videos <laughs> and everything. <laughs> And, um, oh, honestly, I was Suddenly so very pleased this is a podcast. Oh, I bet they are. <laughs> there are some great videos out there. And eventually, um, I managed to get back up running, you know, started it up five miles a day, 10 miles a day, 15 miles a day. And then it took me three weeks to get back up to where I was. And I was running again and back on the road. But massive, massive disaster and a point that could have ended the run. But that's the whole point. You know, there's got to be a chance of failure. Mm. And... Do you think that I, I felt like there was certainly some lessons in there, um, that particularly when you were talking about um, sitting there, not being able to do anything and not knowing for yeah. an extended period of time, you know, throughout that time, were you just anxious the whole time or did you get to a point where you went, you know what, I accept what will be will be and you sort of transcended the problem? Yeah, you have to just relent. You have to basically lay down to the adventure and just go, whatever I can't you can't possibly stay anxious every day you've got you know I was making bargains with myself oh if I can just make it to Friday I'm sure I'll be running by Friday Friday would come Friday would go I'd still have a big hole in my foot and be laid up in pain you know so I just in the end went well you know yeah exactly what you said it is it is what it is at some point I'll either be able to start running again or I'll have to make a decision and say the run's done I'm calling it quits here and I had to get my head around the fact that even if I'd only ran a thousand miles in bare feet, that was still pretty cool. <laughs> and oh, I yeah. think I could probably go home and be happy. And that made everything easier because I thought, well, what's the worst that could happen? The worst is my run's done. Um, and that would be the agonizing. Worst is you've there. already achieved. There you go. Exactly. Yeah. Just not quite as much as you hoped. Yeah. Um, let's talk about books. Because yeah, let's talk you're about an books. author. I am. Um, 100 Adventures to Have Before You Grow Up. Yes, I wrote a kid's book. Well, actually, that's really, that's very poignant because while I had my foot infection, it gave time for the publisher to post me uh, a printed out proof copy of the book and I went through and edited it. And that actually took me most of the time that I was actually off my feet. Oh, nice. So it was kind of a blessing in disguise. Then. Yeah, it was yeah. amazing because there's no way I would have had time to do it otherwise. But yeah, it's called 100 Adventures to Have Before You Grow Up. It's for eight to 11 year olds, but let's be honest, it's for adults as well, because we should never grow up. And um, it came out in April, literally just after lockdown had hit, which was a lesson in itself about how on earth do you, this thing I've been working towards for two years, put so much effort in. And then suddenly there's no bookshops open. And there's no events. Oh. But um, I launched it anyway. And, um, and it's great because there are things in there that people could do close to home or in lockdown. And nice. it's just great now that the world's opening back up again, that 
there are some adventure ideas that the kids can do, you know, like cycle between two towns with the same name, um, visit a lighthouse, all these things that are a little bit further afield that they can go and do. Yeah. So is it all literally just a list of like random challenges to try? It's beautifully illustrated by this amazing illustrator called Claire Rossiter and she's done such a stellar job. So it's a really fun book. And then each adventure has got either a page or two pages and yeah, so it gives you the the idea. So it might be like meet up with your friends in a graveyard and tell some spooky stories. Or um, there's some ones, an urban adventure in there. Like uh, it's an adventure I did with my other half a few years ago, actually, where you go out and you just flip a coin at every junction and then see where you end up. And so nice. it gives you the instructions on how to go and do the adventure and what you need to pack. And um, there's some chat in there about making sure you fly by the sea of your adventure pants uh, standard. So, yeah, it's basically a bit of a, the idea was that if you're struggling and if you think, oh, I've got some time today or this weekend, what should we do? What adventure do I want to go on? Then for parents, they can just look at it and go, oh, great, we'll do that one. And then the kids can also make a little bucket list of the hundred ones they want to do. Mm. Um, and there's some, awesome. as- there's some aspirational stuff in there as well. Like I wanted to really include examples of people like my friend Dave who's skateboarding across Australia um, or people that women that swim across oceans so that the kids can see that where those small adventures can lead to when they're older amazing and you don't just write for kids as you alluded to earlier you've yeah. also got llama drama i have llama drama <laughs> which yeah, is a brilliant right. title yeah, thanks. <laughs> this is the thing right i love to adventure but what i've actually realized is that I equally love being home, sitting down and writing about the adventures. Well, I don't necessarily enjoy the writing. I enjoy the sharing it with people once it's all done. But um, yeah, so Llama Drama is uh, my third adult's adventure book. And that's coming out this month. And it is about a five and a half thousand mile cycle I did with my friend Faye through the Andes Mountains, where we saw many, many llamas. And there was a fair bit of drama. As you can imagine, two people living in each other's pockets for six months. And it is a warts and all book and we're still brilliant friends, but it's all in there. And I believe you're currently re- recording an audio book. Is that for one yeah, of those? Yeah, that is. That's the Llama Drama audio book. Yes, yes. That's the one I just finished, actually. So um, just sent it out to be listened to. But I've got a little crack crack squad of listening team. So they're going through checking for any mistakes. Oh, awesome. And then it should be out about the same time. So which is great for fidgets. You know, audio books are the way forward, aren't brilliant. they? Yeah, for sure, for sure. Audio books and podcasts. Oh, that's it. It's the future, Mark. It's the future. It is the future. (laughs) Um, So where can people find them? Oh, if you just Google my name and put books on the end of it, or if you go to Amazon Book Depository, anywhere that you normally buy your books, then my books will be there. Wicked. Um, Couple more questions for you before we get to our our final question, um, which is is like the big one. Is it? Favourite UK adventure that people should go on in 2021? I'm going to be honest, you need to get yourself to the Shetland Islands. I know it's a lot of effort, but leave London, if you're anywhere near London, get to London, take an overnight sleeper train to Aberdeen, take a plane from Aberdeen to the Shetland Islands, or if you want to be super eco-conscious, you can get on the ferry, but it's like 14 hours. And you are transported and probably to quite vomit world. inducing I, imagine. I, I get travel sick i mean i got sick on the train <laughs> so but it was a really <laughs> getting the caledonian sleeper north uh, from london it feels very harry pottery and it's so cool and before you get on wow. they ask you what you want for breakfast in the morning and then you have dinner in the dining car and the food's really oh, nice brilliant. it's it's a real experience so it kind of 
prolongs the journey. I could have just flown up to Shetland. Um, but I mean, I don't think people realise how far north the Shetland Islands really are. Mm. They are in line with Greenland and they they used to belong to Norway. Like that is how far up they are. They get 21 hours of daylight in the summer months. And wow. they are, they've got all this Norse history. They've got white sandy Caribbean beaches. There's seals and puffins and Shetland ponies. And, and the people are just amazing just absolutely amazing yeah so um, i would recommend people go to the shetland islands beautiful place and for those in europe yes you can guess my next question favorite european adventure that people should take on in 2021 oh i love the french alps i love the french alps Mm -hmm. so much my uh, my family had a place in a tiny little village called chatel and it's on like the french swiss border about an hour and a half from Lake Geneva. And I love that area because you there, I mean, you've got fondue, you've got, you've got raclette, you've got all the good cheese and the pastries and you've got the crisp mountain air and the peaks are kind of between a thousand to two and a half thousand meters high. So you actually start quite high up and you can run around. So I would say the French Alps are amazing. And I'm sure there are a load of other mountain ranges in Europe that I haven't yet explored, but that is one that's got a special place in my heart, definitely. That's a big recommend. Nice. Yeah. And what would be your tips for those looking to plan their first big adventure? Good What would question. be your top three suggestions? To top three. Good things come in threes, don't they? Okay. Um, point number one, make a savings account or some kind of little account where you put away money every single week. And I'm talking if it's a five or if it's 20 quid, if it's 50 quid, whatever you can afford each week, just make chip, chip, chip away, tiny little payments. Don't even think about it. Wall it off. Make sure you can't get that money because if you're anything like me, you'll probably go back in and spend it. And um, just start putting money aside because I think there's this it is difficult if you have responsibilities and you have mortgage and all of that stuff, but there will be a way that you can make sacrifices and make that travel or adventure dream become a reality. It's just about the way you want to do it. So when I went on my first big adventure, I ended up working seven days a week. I worked Monday to Friday in a standard job in an office and Saturday and Sunday I was an assistant at a bike shop, did that for nine months. So yeah, there, there, there will be a way. It's just about whether you want to go about it enough. So put some dollar away, I would say, first thing. Um, and the second thing is you need to tell some people. So I pick like three people that you really know and trust that aren't going to shoot you down and tell those people because once it leaves your mouth and it's out there in the world, there is no going back. Brilliant. And the third thing is understand and accept that you will never, ever, ever feel ready. If you're still on that start line, you feel ready you've not gone far enough so don't worry that you don't feel ready do it anyway awesome love it um finally for our (laughs) outro we're going to go to your your lockdown recommend so we're we're looking for one film or tv show (gasps) one song yeah and one other and the other could be anything could be a book okay uh activity app anything good question okay one film or tv show I'm going to say um, you've got to watch the Michael Jordan documentary series on Netflix. No, nice. Have you seen that? I actually haven't. Okay. No. It's shameful and I no, can't wait to get to it. But not at all. Yeah, no. Everyone is raving about it. It, it looks incredible. What I love about it is you'll fit. I don't want to spoil the end, but I, I ended that feeling very morally challenged and on the fence about whether it was possible to be driven and successful 
and still be um, a, a very nice person and be, you know, kind to everyone? And I think wow. it asks you that question and it's fascinating. And the things that went on, I mean, amazing. And the footage is incredible. And the way they weave the story is masterful. So Michael Jordan documentary, Brilliant. get on that one. Also made me want to play basketball. Totally love it. Um, the next one, what was that? What was that? A song, a lockdown song. Yeah. Um, what is that song? Right, we have to sing it. <laughs> What's the song? Hold on. Ooh, I'm blinded by the lights. That one. Uh, touch. That one. I actually that don't know what that is. Right. I, I recognise the sound of it. Yeah, but thanks. I got it. Voice of an angel. Every time I leave my day of work or writing, it is always on in the car when I do the little commute back home. It's always on and it makes me want to put my head down, put my hands up and dance around the living room. So I normally do that Perfect. when I get home. Perfect. So there's that Blinded one. Blinded by the light then. That's it. Blinded by the light. That is the name of the song. Correct. Um, and the third thing, a book... I would say, oh, my favourite adventure book is uh, a book called Just a Little Run Around the World by Rosie Swell Pope. And she is a woman who in her late 50s, her husband passed away and she took off to run 20,000 miles around the world by herself. Absolutely amazing book. And she's just so brave and mad and wonderful. And I think everyone should read it. Well, there we are. Do remember to drop us a follow on Instagram at Osprey Europe if you're enjoying the show. We'd love to hear from you over there. Plus, you'll be able to get involved in all of our competitions, events, etc. Thanks to Anna for coming on. Thanks to you for listening. I've been your host, Marcus Brown, and we'll see you on the next episode of the Osprey Podcast. Osprey.